In the reading from Hebrews this morning, the passage begins with a reference to the priests repeatedly offering sacrifices, but them not taking away sin. In the temple worship of Jesus' day, as was prescribed in the Hebrew Bible, the people offer sacrifices to atone for their sins and as ways to draw closer into relationship with God. So they will bring an animal to be slaughtered by the priest and that blood was viewed as being a cleansing. And then that sacrifice was burnt as an offering on the altar, the smoke ascending as a way of offering that sacrifice up to God. And in the temple, there was the Holy of Holies, the place where the ark had been in the first temple, and where on one day of the year, on Yom Kippur, the high priest would enter to burn the incense on the altar and also to make the sacrifice not only for the sins of the high priest and the high priest's family, but also a burnt offering and sacrifice for the sins of all the people. But this was done repeatedly, right? Day after day, people are coming to the temple, making their sacrifices, offering animals as burnt offerings, as a way of drawing closer to God, or as a way of atonement for their sins. And of course, every year was this day of cleansing, day of atonement, Yom Kippur, repeated cycle. And what this passage and other passages are referring to as Jesus being the high priest, who instead of offering a sacrifice of an animal, Jesus himself is the high priest who enters the curtain of his own body and offers himself as the sacrifice, as an atonement once and for all, to put an end to the cycle of offering of sacrifices, Jesus himself becomes the once and for all atonement. Now this is central to our faith as Christians, the notion that Jesus offered himself on behalf of all of creation as a final atonement so that we would not continually need to do this. Jesus ends that cycle and in Jesus' death, all of us are cleansed and forgiven. And it dramatically shifts our relationship with God. We have a relationship with God that becomes more direct through Jesus. Our relationship with God is no longer mediated through a sacrifice or by the priest. You no longer need to go to a priest in order to have that sacrifice or offering as part of your relationship uh, with God. It may sound a little strange that I'm saying that as I'm standing here preaching to you. Um, obviously, I think clergy have a pretty important role offering the prayers on behalf of the community. But as a priest, I don't have more direct access to God than you do. God doesn't say, oh, Reverend Chris is praying. I'll, I'll pay attention to that one. Right? Like, part of what Jesus does is we don't need these mediators. 
as much anywhere anymore. The church community has people with various roles, but we all enter directly into a relationship with God because we no longer need to offer these sacrifices on behalf of our own uh, sins. The letter from Hebrews is, is the whole thing is really sort of a, a brilliant and uh, impassioned sermon from a pastor who is trying to exhort his congregation. There's some discord, and, and part of it, you hear it in this text. He's talking about gathering, as, and, and some pe- basically he's trying to get people to come back to church. He's complaining that, about church decline, right? I don't know about you, but I totally relate to this passage right now. Like, the whole pandemic, we've just been asking, like, is anyone going to come back? Are people going to come back to church, whether it's physically or online? So I, I totally relate to what he's saying. And my favorite analysis of this particular part of the letter is that this reading is the pastor is trying to identify the characteristics of holy living for Christians. The passage refers to the sanctified. So it's about what it is to live a sanctified life as a Christian. And there are four characteristics that lend to this. The first is knowing that you are forgiven and loved by God. That is the fundamental point of Christ's sacrifice, as pointed out in this letter, that all have been forgiven and all are loved by God. Which means we have to let go of guilt and regret. We can't cling to our sins. We have to let them go. In the rite of confession, it closes with the priest saying, God has put away your sins. Go in peace. Now, of course, when we sin, we accept responsibility. We all have to accept responsibility for our actions. But the message here of forgiveness is that guilt is not a spiritual virtue. Churches really get this wrong. The number one reason I hear why people say they left the church is because it made them feel guilty or bad about themselves. That is not, not Christ's message. That is not the message of the scripture, and it should not be the message of the church. Our message needs to be that we are forgiven, we are called to forgive others, but also that we are supposed to forgive ourselves because God has. There was a priest who was also a psychologist who wrote that he thought that a lot of mental illness that people experienced was because they wouldn't forgive themselves. They could not forgive themselves, either for things they had done or for however they understood themselves to be as some sort of faulty or failed person. But when we do not forgive ourselves and forgive others, it holds us back from being fully alive before God. So holy living as a Christian calls for us to embrace that you are loved 
and desired and forgiven by God and to forgive yourself because God has. The second is to live in hope. Christian hope is often practiced against our outward circumstances. But we hold fast to hope because God is always faithful. Now this pandemic, it, there are times it's been really hard to find hope. And that's part of what it means to practice hope, Christian hope, against our circumstances. To look for hope. To know that God will show up and God will be present. I've found a lot of hope in the way members of this church during the pandemic have reached out to the rest of the congregation or the rest of the community to try and help and support those in need. The fact that like almost the entire world was trying to come up with a vaccine to save other people's lives. There are signs of hope and in the midst of those circumstances that are negative, we try to find hope. So it's a shift in the way we approach things. I, I have a family member who no longer goes to church and who now pretty much only talks about God when something bad happens. How could God let this happen? How could God let this happen? To live in hope is to shift from saying, how did God let this happen? Which is, of course is an age-old question, right? Not that we don't struggle with that, but it's to try and shift from moving from how did God let this happen to where is God present in this situation? I'm always a little struck that um, this family member, and I think this is a common trait, when something bad happens says, you know, how did God let this happen? But when something wonderful happens does not ever say, how great that God made this happen or let this happen, right? We have this approach where when good things happen, it's us. But when bad things happen, it's God's fault. That's not living in hope. That is not how God operates. I also want to say God doesn't make bad things happen. It's the reality of our free will and the reality of the created order that these things happen. But nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God. So living in hope. The third characteristic is that holy living is done in community. Now clearly, as I alluded to, there's a part of the passage where the author is sort of admonishing those who have stopped coming to church. It's an issue, right? But we all need Christian community in some form. Even if it's not Sunday morning worship, there are a lot of ways to gather in intentional Christian community beyond this. And I realize it's a little tricky talking about this, right? Because I'm really kind of preaching to the choir as it, as it were, because you're all here, whether you're in the pews or online, you're here engaging, but we need community. And one thing we've learned during this pandemic is to broaden our understanding of community. Right? I mean, there, there are people joining us online right now. I know a parishioner who watches almost every Sunday, and she said to me, every Sunday, I'm in the front pew. <laughs> I love that. 
We need community. Whenever we've done surveys at St. John's, including the strategic plan the Vestry's working on now, the number one thing people say that they either want from St. John's or most appreciate about St. John's is community, is spiritual faith community. We do need that. In, in a culture, you know, I mean, I get spiritual but not religious. You don't necessarily have to be religious, but a full a full life of faith or spirituality has to have an element of community to it. In part because we can only provoke each other to love and good deeds in community. We need each other to do that for each other. The fourth is solidarity with others. This is growing in acts of love and service to all people especially those whom Christ called us to serve. And one of the reasons we need community is because we cultivate those practices in Christian community, the practices that help us live and act in solidarity with those in need, with those that Christ calls us to serve. So those are four aspects from this letter about holy living for Christians, about living a sanctified life. Knowing that you are forgiven and loved by God. Living in hope. Engaging in community. And solidarity with others. Especially the poor, those in, most in need. Now, some of you know I'm, I'm fond of giving homework during my sermons. So I have some homework for you. But it is said that clergy often preach the sermon they most need to hear. So uh, this homework is for me, too. So I have some questions that I want you to reflect on so that this sermon is not just you're hearing it right now and that's it. But in this moment and throughout this week, right, because we don't live our Christian life just in the hour we're in church. Part of the point of this is how we gather in community and then go out and try to live the Christian life the rest of our life. So I invite you to spend this week engaged, live with these questions. Is there something you need to forgive yourself for? How can you let go of guilt and regret? Where do you find hope? How do you or can you provoke others to love and good deeds? How are you being provoked to love and good deeds? Who do you know that needs encouragement? And finally, how are you or can you be in solidarity with those Christ called us to serve?